0: Is public speaking selling from the stage a scam? This was one of the questions I asked my next guest. Hi, it's Ron Moore here. Now, this is a very special landmark episode because I recently launched my Disruptors series of just 43 NFTs. Most of them sold out in my pre-launch and some of my great friends and business partners purchased one of the NFTs. One of the perks in investing in one of my NFTs was that you can own one of my podcast episodes for life. And in this landmark episode, Andy Harrington was the first he purchased Disruptors NFT series number one. Now, Andy Harrington has been one of my great friends for many years, probably 15 years. And he is regarded as one of the best public speaking trainers and public speakers in the world. He has the Public Speaking University and he now officially owns this podcast episode. Now, this has been a long time coming, but I've actually sat down with Andy Harrington and we've discussed in detail the world of public speaking, the world of pitching and selling and the ethics of it. Andy's website is andyharrington.com. And if you search on social media for Andy Harrington, you can follow him on all major social media channels. And also, if you'd like to start your journey into public speaking like I did back in 2006, make sure you go now to andyharrington.com forward slash story. That's andyharrington.com forward slash story. I don't know how long that page is going to be active, so go now and remember this. If you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Andy, welcome to Disruptors. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. I reckon this has been 15 years in the making, would
1: you say? Yeah, sounds like some kind of epic movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember seeing the first time I ever met you. You didn't know me; I knew you. Right. Warren
1: Warren Bourget's
0: speaking event.
1: Oh gosh, yeah,
0: that was that was fifteen years ago.
1: Yeah, that's right. And yeah. uh, sadly, he uh, took his own life. Yeah,
0: he was one of my mentors in a way.
1: Wow, it's funny, isn't it, how the how the universe crosses paths? Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks, Andy. So I want to jump straight in with a question about leadership. Okay. Do all good leaders
1: have to be good speakers? Mm, good question. Perhaps not, but somebody in organisation definitely does. So, you know, for you, for example, you, you you, and Mark, and you and Mark are a perfect blend. We can call Mark a leader, but he leads in a quite different way. So if it's not gonna be you, then your second person needs to be that front person who can inspire, lead. You can maybe reference also You know, Apple, Steve Jobs was the front man. Of course, you would have uh, Wozniak in the background. So yes and no, I guess, is the answer. Mm.
0: So Steve Jobs, I reckon, was probably not a very good speaker when he started in business. Mm -hmm. And I reckon, as you see his keynote speeches develop, learned it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people think, oh, well, they are naturally a good speaker. Say, for example, Obama, people like that. Mm. Um. You studied them all. I remember seeing your video when you actually picked apart Steve Jobs' speech. That was brave.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it was sort of Elon Musk as well. I think it did one on him as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So is speaking born
1: or learned? Um, you, you, look, as with all things, you can be naturally talented at something, but that doesn't mean it's a skill. Um, it's actually interesting because I was just figuring this out the other day. You just mentioned 15 years. I think I've just probably, having done this now for 19 years, I think I've probably just passed the 10,000-hour mark of presenting on stage wow. or in front of a camera, at least. Probably more, if you include camera, it's probably gone past that. Yeah. And the moment you get to the the level where, as a presenter, you're doing it unconsciously, if you want to call it that, then actually your message comes through you rather than come from you. Mm. And you kind of tap into some, well, what can we call it the matrix, the super-conscious, whatever you want to call it, you tap into that. Because then when your message is coming through you the audience feel that they're important it's like this interview it's like you said to me beforehand when we was out there like should i show the questions i went no definitely not because then i'm already going to be thinking the worst thing anyone does as a presenter is to plan every single thing you're going to say because that's completely unnatural which means we'll sound unnatural and too canned And your message because but politicians do that all the time they read a script yeah yeah exactly and (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah exactly and whilst i understand why they would do that because they don't want to make mistakes that inherently misses that leadership part you're speaking about you know the moment you go slightly off piste it's risky which is why they don't do it but as a as a leader or an inspiration you have to do that because there is a state you can get into uh, when you're in front of a group or you're performing, you get into that state, you'll actually say things that are better than what you wrote down mm. because you're in an inspired state. There's a difference between writing for a page and performing on a stage. Those are two different mm. things. So the answer is, are they born or are they you know, honed? Look, to be good at anything, you've got to take that, that, that talent and turn it into a skill and that will only come by doing it. But I, I don't actually believe... In practice, per se, I believe in getting on the stage and doing it. So your practice needs to be so live. live. Just practice. get yourself out there and yeah. do it. You know, what's the worst that can happen is, well, you learn something, right? Mm. So just get out there and get doing. Otherwise, you get stuck in, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And mm. you never get out there, you never get mm. done.
0: So I didn't fully explore the first question, so I want to go back there because you said a, a leader doesn't have to be a great speaker, but needs someone in the organisation that is. That actually sounds to me like leadership needs a great speaker.
1: Mm, Yeah. Oh, 100%. Why? Because leadership is about communication. You've got to communicate a brand, a message, or you've got to convince people that you can help them solve a problem of some kind from a sales perspective. And it doesn't matter how technically advanced we get as human beings, the way we do business, the way that we lead is through presentation, through communication. Um, you now, whether that's done online or in person, those things now uh, can be both. But for me, someone has to lead. You can't lead just by standing. You can't lead just by looking. You've got to lead by communicating. And people need inspiration, but also they need certainty. So, you know, as you probably know as well as I do, is that, you know, people move towards where certainty exists, where there's confidence. And if you haven't got that, if you can't radiate that confidence, no one's going to move towards you. you know, staff aren't going to move towards you because they're not going to buy into that vision that you have. Your, your, uh, your audience and or your clients won't move towards you because you know, from a client perspective, you know, they're probably in, in a place where they're in complete uncertainty around a particular area of their life that's not working. And so you've got to communicate, not only have you got a solution to their problem that gets them from A to B, but you've got to demonstrate in a way that they buy into your certainty because there has to be it's trust, isn't it? In the end, you're communicating that they can trust you, that you care, and that you've got some kind of vision, approach, or method that's gonna deliver for them. And that's the same. For staff as well, isn't it? They've got to buy into your vision that you can support them. They're probably uncertain about their next career move. You need to be certain. The only way you can do that is through a presentation, in my opinion, at least, anyway. Mm. So
0: if I think of someone like Obama,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um, many people I know believe his policies weren't great. Yeah. I'm not saying that they were, but many people I know believe his policies weren't great. And so maybe technically, as a president, they wouldn't rate him maybe anywhere near the top. But he was a great orator. So what's more important for a president, technical ability and policy
1: and knowledge of politics, or to be a great orator? Who gets remembered the most? It depends what your outcome is, doesn't it? You know, you know, we probably don't even call Churchill necessarily one of the best people in the same way, but he's remembered the most. So it depends. I guess, It's all timing, perhaps, also, isn't it? You know, what's important at that time... For that country, what kind of leadership do they need at that moment? Because it often depends on what's been before. Mm. You know what, what what's been before. Rebellion
0: against previous. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, like you know, Trump. look at look
1: at Trump for example. <laughs> it's like it's chalk and cheese. Everyone compared wants to him Obama. back
0: now that I see on social media. Yeah,
1: it's and I spoke alongside you know Donald Trump as well, and he's a fantastic presenter, and you know very humorous. And again, also, you talked earlier about you know politicians have it all planned. Well, he's somebody who didn't. Right. Yeah. No, he made a few gaffes doing that, obviously, which is the risk. But mm. it makes them charismatic.
0: Mm. And
1: that's also an important part for a leader. So if you were prime minister or president, would
0: you go along the lines of, you know, your advisors in your ear telling you to script a speech? Or would you have an unscripted speech?
1: Yeah. So I think you need a framework for a speech at the very least, um, because otherwise, you know, you could end up going completely left field so you need a structure but that structure in my opinion um, certainly when I mean, I've never written politician's speeches so I'm probably speaking outside my comfort zone but in essence you need a framework for a talk but that framework in my opinion needs to leave freedom of expression so it's not so tight that it's framed word by word mm. But like in the first few minutes, okay, here's my outcome. Here's what I want to achieve in that first two or three minutes. Here's what I want to achieve. And that's what the script writer is doing anyway. They're, they have orchestrated it in such a way that it's chunked into, okay, in the first three minutes, we need to achieve this or make them feel this and so on. Um, But chunking a level of words just means it's much harder to deliver yeah. as a personality. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I want to go back to that time when I was watching you on stage for the first time. Okay. Um. Because Mark, myself, and our previous boss at the time, um, honestly, we were like, wow, because you inspired people into action. I had never seen a presentation where someone could inspire so many people to make an investment, you know, Uh speak to sell, presentation for profit. Right. And, you know, we were all like, wow. And Mark was just like, wow, because Mark could see money. (laughs) I was wow because I'm not a jealous person at all, um, but I was ten percent jealous. I didn't know how to do that right. um, which actually was part of the inspiration of of doing it. So could you take us through your journey of becoming a professional speaker, having you know the professional speakers university that you do, and just put everyone in in the picture on you know your journey?
1: yeah, so. Yeah, well, before I even got into speaking and presenting, um, my first business was an IT recruitment business. And then, while I was going through, while I was going through that evolution, I started with like ten grand. We borrowed from the Abbey National. Um, told them to go buy a car with it. We didn't. We actually started the business with it. But it, that business, because yeah, because if, if, if you tell them that, they won't lend you the money. No, no, it's <laughs> crazy. crazy they, isn't no, it? no. If they were going to buy some depreciating asset, apparently that was fine. Yeah. Uh, but to 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 generate money out of it, perhaps wasn't. Um, <laughs> But anyway, you know, you you basically do stuff and ask ask, uh, for forgiveness later. That's Mm. normally a better way than asking for permission. So, um, for Onspro at least, anyway. Um, And about that sort of time as I had that business, um, my partner at the time, you know, she was going through some stuff that had gone through and we ended up like, she ended up being really depressed. um, And I went to see Tony Robbins because I didn't know what the hell to do um, with, with the situation. I had no answers. And I came across his infomercial on TV from Tony Robbins. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Uh, so I called the company up and the, the, the sales rep convinced me not to buy the product, which is probably about $149. And I ended up spending about $20,000 instead flying over to the Orange County Convention Center in Florida to go and see Tony Robbins. And, you know, like, I've never seen this before and everyone's on stage dancing and stuff and I thought, like, this is some weird cult. <laughs> Honestly, I did. And now I bet people say that about you. Well, no, no, exactly, yeah. Yeah, quite right. Yeah. But, well, I'd sub-story later on, I try to pretend to be Tony Robbins and that fell flat. I'll come back to that in a bit. So, anyway, so... Um, he is eight foot six, so there's an issue there. Correct, straight yeah, on. yeah, yeah. <laughs> His teeth are bigger than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so... What happened in that event? is that he ended up working with a one-to-one, doing a live intervention. I didn't know what this stuff was. With your previous partner? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like 5,000 people in this room. And it, like, you know, we were VIP seats because we bought this package. And, um, yeah, he worked with a one-to-one, like, you you know, giant screens all around. And, like, there's a camera on the stage looking directly at her, beaming the giant screens, and uh, he's doing an intervention. And, like, he literally changed her life. And uh, I was like 45 minutes. And we, we I checked her into the Priory Hospital and uh, like nothing was working. And then, you know, 45 minutes an hour later, it's like completely changed. I thought, this is damn good. And then my voice went up and said, hey, maybe that's why you're here. You know, maybe you're meant to be like that guy. And I thought, well, who's gonna listen to me? What do I know? Mm. And so I didn't do anything with it. I had a kind of little mild idea about it, but it wasn't until another event that we'd already pre-purchased about six months later, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, another event with Tony. And right at the very end, towards the end of event, day six, I think, we had to pair up the stranger. And, you know, it's like weird stuff you do in events where you, where you stare into somebody's eyes, like, at, like way inside the, the, inside yes. the intimate zone. Yeah. And uh, I'm a real introvert, you know, we, you and I are similar we're you're definitely off the charts introvert compared to me but <laughs> um i'm i am quite introverted uh, and uh, so i'm sitting this one out thinking i'm not gonna do this weird shit and um <laughs> and then this idea hits me the only person left in the room that didn't have a partner was tony robbins no. so i no. thought so i thought okay and I got, i'm like in the trance now and i'm walking down the aisles i i kind of get past a few of the guards who are meant to stop idiots like me. (laughs) And I motioned to Mr. Robbins, would he be my partner for this exercise? And by complete surprise, he agreed. And I got to have five minutes of intimacy with Tony Robbins that changed my life in that moment because I literally was staring at his eyes. I became so uh, emotional, so like, oh my goodness. Like, I was so grateful, actually, for what he'd done. And and I I was crying and he started crying as well. I thought, this is like mad, this is weird. And in that moment, I said, I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's my moment when I said, you know, I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to find a way to try and do a something similar to what he's done. You know, and I'm now 19 years into that journey. So. Wow. And you've
0: probably trained more public speakers in this country than anyone I know. Mm, maybe. Which yeah. is a pretty amazing legacy, if you think yeah, about I didn't, it.
1: Yeah, I didn't start off doing that. You know, I started out just teaching only, you know, mindset, motivation, all that kind of... Mm. Uh, very important stuff, which I still, it's still my first love and it's still imbued within the training that I do. And that probably is one of the things that gives me an edge is because, you know, as a presenter and speaker, you can't just teach people what to do because they'll know what to do, but they won't do it. Mm. You have to find out, you know, what's, you've got to get under the skin and you've got to move them into a place where they completely believe that change is possible because we're all doing that. We're all selling change. Mm. Every business sells change. If you're selling a service, You're selling change. Client's here, wants to be there. Mm. Um, But most people, like they're more afraid of change. They're they're more afraid of the solution than they are of the problem. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but it's true, isn't it? Because Mm. the problem they live with, I've got coping mechanisms for that. Thank you. But see, this solution, um, then that carries fear of risk, failure, ridicule, loss, and so you know, there's a dynamic that plays out. So if you as a speaker don't recognise that, you'll be very disappointed with the number of people who don't actually take a next step and implement what you talk about Mm. because you're missing an important bit. Don't just tell them, you know, here's the what and the how to do it. You've got to find what is going to be the thing that gets underneath you, lights a fire in you and makes you take the action.
0: Mm. And why did you therefore focus on public speaking? Obviously, you've got your speakers university, you've got your academy, you've got a massive... Um, set of mentees and professional speakers under your company umbrella, but why did you zone in on that and niche on that?
1: Mm. I think because I, I naturally became good at it over time um, because I'd at that time probably done it for six or seven years, and actually, from a pure business perspective. Only teaching mindset and making that a good business isn't easy, no. because it's a soft no. yeah. skill,
0: and the, and also it's hard to sell an outcome. Correct, isn't it? A yeah. result.
1: yeah, correct. And so people invest more in a you know a speaker's training, or here's how I create my content, whatever. You know people can invest more in that because they can see an end game. Whereas motivation mindset is actually probably more important than that. Um, But they'll invest less in that because they feel like, oh, I don't really need that. Mm. But but consequently, they probably do need it more than ever. Mm. So we've got a few sections
0: here. Uh, and we're going to do a bit of a fun quick-fire round towards the end. Right. And I want to get into some nitty gritty practical stuff. As I like well. knit and I, grit. I know you do. You, you like it. <laughs> um, but there's a couple of elephants in the room of public speaking I'd like to get into first. Yes. Um, so a couple of things I've heard in the last 15 years. Yes. It's been said of me, it's been said of you and it's been said of anyone who's in this industry. A couple of things. Number one is, um, should you be the same on stage as off stage? Because I've heard critics say, oh, well, they're giving it the big I am on the stage and it's completely different off the stage. Should you be the same person on the stage as off the stage? That's the first one.
1: Yeah, uh, I think you should have the same values on stage as off stage. But it's also perhaps, you know, for you to have the same level of intensity in your conversation with people probably make you, like, very weird. Uh, And also, you know, like, what makes someone very good off stage is their ability to listen, ask questions, open people up, be genuinely curious. On stage, you're probably not doing that. You're doing the opposite. You're leading and you're presenting and you're performing. So it's more like an accelerated version of you there, but you're also you're using different attributes of yourself at the same time. So you can't really compare the two things. But what I, what is important is that, you would never do something on stage that you wouldn't do off stage. So an example of that would be, and this is a uh, you'll, you'll recognise this. You know when somebody says, uh, as a speaker says, so they make some kind of statement. I say, do you agree with that? Yes or yes, right? Mm. And so it's the audience. Now mm. if I said that to you and we were having a conversation, what do you think? Do you agree with that, Rob? Yes or yes? You go fuck off! <laughs> like you're manipulating me. You're not yeah. giving me a choice, and that's that's an issue. So it's like you you feel like you can get away with it on stage doing that but actually when you think about it you're just showing your hand Mm. and like what's the problem with you know yes or no would be the right answer or does that make sense does that make sense yes or no you know whatever so either way you know the word no is completely fine because if there's someone in the audience that doesn't agree i'd rather know that Mm. so a it's either feedback that my content i didn't explain it very well or it's an opportunity to help that person to see the world or something in a different way so yeah. i don't want to be afraid of that word if that makes sense yeah yeah
0: i, I something i was taught in the early days of public speaking where actually thinks awful uh, i was taught by a, a speaker to say i know what you're thinking um as a as a read on the stage maybe as an hypnotic linguistic tool but mm-hmm. Um, If someone says to me, I know what you're thinking, I think, no, you fucking don't. You have no idea what I'm thinking. So it could actually be a really bad rap or break to make that.
1: Yeah. So what you would do there is you'd use a softening phrase. So understand what what the reason is that person is saying, look, you know, um, I know what you're thinking is because it's a segue into what you might say next. Right. Yeah. as in the next bit of content. But your better way to say it. So now you might be, what you might be thinking, yes. Ray, what you might be thinking now is the X, Y and Z. And if you were thinking that, then, well, let me explain what I mean. And then that, that's the better segue. Yeah. So use a softening phrase like might, maybe, perhaps. These are softening phrases that keep rapport and don't have someone have jarring effect.
0: Mm. So this is making me want to talk about language. Yeah. Because it's not actually in my uh, questions, but Clearly, the technicality of language is really important. So, maybe we'll come to that in a moment. The big elephant in the room in speaking, you know, you're all about presentation for profits. Yes. You know, you want to help people make money, is the selling element of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I know I've seen some speakers speak and sell, and I've thought, wow, that is an art form. What you've done there is magic and alchemy. I've also seen some people speak and sell, and I've been somewhat not disgusted but I'm like ugh. Mm -hmm. Um, so to anyone who thinks that speaking from the stage and doing the pitch is yucky you know and it shouldn't be done let's talk about that and let's maybe educate people
1: yeah so you first got to take out the stage stuff first and talk about Sally in general (laughs) because People who don't like being sold to, if they're sitting in an audience, probably just don't like being sold to full stop because they've got some conception about sales that selling is about trying to, in essence, get someone to do something they don't actually want to do. But selling is, is nothing more than finding out where somebody is, finding out where they want to be. And if you generally have a solution that bridges the gap between where they are, when or be, then my view is... If I know you need what I've got and you're stuck and, and I I find out that you really need it, like I will do everything in my power to get you over the line because I know, having done it for many years, once you get over here, you're going to say, thanks for having made that decision, right? But you've got to have that level of integrity, which means you have to believe so much in what you do that you're willing to stand behind it, right? Now, of course, what you're talking about is the speakers that actually don't deliver (laughs) here and they're very good at selling it, but that's what they're really interested in is the selling of it. So when you get down here, either either they haven't yet developed over time their solution so it's robust and doesn't have any holes in it, or they just don't care (laughs) once they've had people's money. So, but there's an art form in selling. Selling is both a science and an art, and you need to be good at both of those things. But you first gotta come from the belief that selling is good. Because if you have the belief that selling isn't, then when somebody makes the comment like you did, you're gonna get attracted to that comment. It might either you again defend yourself, which you shouldn't, or you don't need to, um, or you're gonna start changing your approach because the world around you says you can't do it that way.
0: Mm. So where is the line, in your view, between persuasion and manipulation?
1: Intent. It's your intent. If I want to get the money out of you, right, then if I'm persuading you to do something that's going to harm you and hurt you, then I will win in the short term. You will lose in the short term, but I will lose in the long term Mm. because everything we do has to be ecological. So it needs to be good for me, feel good for me, it must be good for me. It must be good for others and serve the greater good. But I if, noticed
0: the little distinction you did there. Yeah. Feel good for me versus be good for
1: me. Yeah, because sometimes you because can Because they're do very something, different. Well, because you can sometimes do something that feels good, but it's actually not good for you. Yes. Right. So in the moment, it might feel good to sell to someone because you just made some money. But is it good for you? No, it's yeah. not. Is it good for others? No. So that's, in essence, that is what I'd call a class, this is Tony Robbins' stuff, class three behaviour, right? It's something you're addicted to doing, but it's it's not good, right? And what you've got to do is abandon that and find a better way. Something that is good for you, serves others, serves the greater good and feels good as well. Mm. And then once you do that, then you've got a healthy addiction, if that makes sense. Yeah. That means you are on your mission. You've found your thing that you're gifted to do. But mm. anything you do that inherently, with inside of you, that you're not, maybe you don't display outside, inherently makes you feel shame or makes you feel uncomfortable inside, will eventually catch oh. up with you. Mm. What
0: was interesting, I just picked up on something you said. You said uh, you shouldn't defend yourself. Why not?
1: Yeah. You don't have, oh, then I changed it, I so said you don't mm. have to defend yourself. No. Now you can defend yourself, but you're not it's not the right perhaps it's not the right thing to say defend yourself. It's okay from from your point of view, you might, for example, talk about that on social media posts, but you're really doing that not because you want to convert that person. You're mm. not trying to take them from a a hater to a you know, to a lover right to a fan. Because they can't be
0: converted. No, I'm often doing it for everyone else watching.
1: Correct. Exactly yeah. right. So we create that distinction. But if you are doing it because you you need this person's validation in order for you to feel that you can carry on saying that's and doing what you do. That's a black hole that is, isn't it? If that's, and this is the big thing about leadership. If we now expand leadership speaking, whatever it might be. As a speaker, as a presenter, if you go out there and you need people to validate everything that you say and do, then you are screwed. Like, you're gonna be, you're gonna struggle. Did, you, not ever, did you ever need
0: that in your Of course, journey?
1: everywhere, in the beginning. In the beginning, once you're new to this, um, you know, it's really good to have very supportive audiences, right? Because, yeah. you know, and here's the challenge though, when, you, when I first went to doing it, same as you, you go out and you do your free talk somewhere, the free audience is the most hostile audience you'll ever have. Because yeah. they haven't paid anything to be there, they're already skeptical, and they're like, they're like honestly, they're, they're probably probably stand on the stage and they go like, right, teach me something, you little shit, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. and change my mind exactly. Yeah. So you know, you have to kind of earn that right over time, but you have to be so certain in what you do because if any part of you is uncertain about what you believe, mm. and that's the key. Let's talk about that because great presenters don't share information. Stop teaching people what you know and start start sharing what you believe. And those are two different things. Oh. What you know and what you believe are two different things. When, you're, when you share what you believe, there's a conviction in your voice that you own. And even if somebody else doesn't believe the same as you, it doesn't matter because it's, this is my belief, yeah. right? This is my truth, and that's what you're looking to do. You're looking to go out there and find people who need to believe what you believe, right? Because your belief shapes how you think, how you think shapes how you feel. Your feelings will determine your decisions, and your decisions determine your actions. So if you want better actions, you've got to trace that all the way back to beliefs. Mm. Which means that you have to understand, from in, a pre- in a presentation, you've got to say to yourself, OK, what, it, what is it that I believe that gets me the results that I have? And what are the beliefs that these my audience typically have that, that are holding them back? Are you creating stories? You create content that is deliberately designed to challenge and change those beliefs. Because only when that happens does their mind open and then they might be ready to hear mm-hmm. the message. Because you know it's like so many people, you probably had it before. You say this, you say a similar message, and people go like, I've never heard you say that before. And you've said it almost every single time. <laughs> but now they hear you. Yeah. Now they see you because something happened. You they for whatever reason they heard that that belief was different in that moment and then they absorbed it.
0: Mm. Yeah, this is great. Um, does every speaker have a big ego?
1: A lot of the really good ones probably do in the beginning. Um, maybe it's maybe you almost are that in the beginning, but the great ones eventually that fades away. Um, because I I probably did in the beginning as well. And you know it's, you hear the feedback from people like people might sort of saw me. You know, <laughs> I don't know like. 10 years ago or something, like, oh, you really seem different now, like, softer, more, more authentic, and that you grow into the authenticity of that, and it's like, you don't need the ego anymore, Something I you don't have to pump yourself up anymore, because you know, so there's a knowing that comes across, it's like, even like Tony Robbins, for example, at the beginning it was personal power, and now it's much more, it's not quite the same now, the messages has a different flavour, mm. it's a, like, it's a more spiritual coming through you mm. kind of message, and you don't need to pump yourself up anymore, but in the beginning. Look, well, mate, what I'll tell you is, this is go back to that thing I was saying. So when I, t- I, I, I thought when I first started, like, remember I said I would be like Tony Robbins, right? And so, you know, he started his events with like dancers on stage and stuff. So I'd literally, my first ever event it was 76 people. It was the Cavendish Conference Centre in London, which is like a, all the seats are tiered up and the speakers lower down. And uh, people walked in from a hard day's work in London, seven o'clock to my free event, skeptical audience. And uh, they find on stage dancing, I'm not there, but my mum's there, my sister's there, my father-in-law and my partner's there dancing on stage. (laughs) And so people walked in and went, nope, (laughs) just walked straight back out again. And so, and I'd walk... I'd, I'd run on stage to, let me entertain you. And I was like, such a dick. Did
0: you have the big Madonna microphone coming on the side I of the stage? I face. did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I
1: Literally everything. <laughs> and I didn't... What happened, look, that gets you out the gate, right? Because yeah. you're modelling someone. So you lean on yeah. someone you admire and you don't realise you're... Because everyone has to start re- somewhere, don't they? Yeah, you realise yeah. you're doing it, but it's kind of like you need to lean on like, it because that's certainty, mm. that works. And you're trying to find yourself and your Correct. own style. Correct. And eventually that facade fades away yeah. or you have a big failure and then it fades away. You come back and then there's a, a, an authenticity that comes through. Um, and that's, well, that's my story, at least anyway, mm. what happened to me. I bet you're glad there were no camera phones back then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I actually <laughs> imagine all of that. Dude,
1: dude, I have a video somewhere. I still have it. Um, and it's a video of me at the Novotel in Heathrow. And I run on and there's, there's, there's dancers on stage. Right, and they pan around the audience, about 100 people there, and you know they're doing the Tony Robbins clap dance on the stage, so everybody else is meant to copy. There yeah. were literally five people in the audience standing up going, <laughs> and everybody else is sitting there thinking, oh, when's this going to end? Like, and it's just literally the most embarrassing thing, because yeah. I, I wasn't Tony Robbins. This is not an American audience. Mm. Yeah, and you know it just didn't work. Mm. It took me about six months to give that up.
0: Mm. One thing I want to say to everyone watching and listening is that journey is okay, because I think about this in my journey of the Disruptors brand, which is six years this podcast has been going, and we've just rebranded it, to Disruptors from Disruptive Entrepreneur. And I know along my journey, I've had these moments of, oh, okay, yeah, I think this is who I am. Or, yeah, I feel comfortable here and not here. But I had to go on that journey for many years to have those awakening moments. Mm -hmm. But what I wouldn't want anyone to think listening is, you know, you have to find authenticity from day one because sometimes it can take many years to evolve through you. Would, would you agree with that?
1: I think it's almost inauthentic to think that you can yeah. find authenticity. Mm. You know, like everything we do, you learn how to do by doing it, mm. which inherently means when you do it, you'll be rubbish at it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like we learn to walk before we're ready. Yeah. We learn to talk before you're ready. You know, to laugh before you're ready. Everything you've done, you've ever done, you've done mm. before you're ready. That's how you get ready. Yeah. But doing it, you figure out. I mean, I've never been to a dinner party yet where, you know, the host invites the husband and he's crawling on his hands and knees. Sorry, he hasn't figured out this walking thing yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> figure it out. You do yeah. something often enough. And that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. If you do anything often enough, you get damn good at it. Mm. You just do. Mm. Problem with most people is most adults, they give up after, you know, seven attempts and it didn't work out. Mm. That's the difference.
0: Amen. So a lot of people reckon that ego is the enemy. I'm still on this ego thing, but um, (laughs) maybe (laughs) no, no, no. no. Or maybe um, Freud would have something to say about me. But is ego really all bad? I mean, you said when every speaker starts that you've seen there's some of that there. I mean, can there be something good in ego?
1: Well, it, firstly, the, the word ego and the concept of ego is exactly that. It's only a concept. It doesn't actually exist. Mm. It's a it's a labelling of something or some behaviour. So, if we're saying ego is that you are inwardly focused and it's about you, for example, well, that's okay, because you know, look at Maslow's model, Tony Robbins, whatever, there are two things that, there are two opposing forces that you need. Number one is, um, well, let, let's go back. You so say you need certainty, all right, and you need um, variety, stroke, change. Um, but you also need significance, as in, I am amazing at something. And then you've got connection. So what makes a great leader is someone who is significantly good at something, that makes them attractive. People are attracted to that skill, knowledge, know-how, whatever it is that person has. But And that's that makes them very significant. But what makes it, what makes them valuable is their ability to give that. So ego, we use that word, is forgetting. I am getting from you. So maybe that's what drives you to start. Correct. Yeah. But then that will, if you don't then we'll find a way to serve with that, and it's only ever about you, mm. or you serve in a half-assed way because it's only something you do, you give lip service to. Then you know you're, you're not going to succeed mm. because you never feel good about yourself. No. Because the secret of living is giving,
0: mm. right? Yeah.
1: And so, and that's where everything works because everything works based on service. The whole world works on capitalism, at least works on service. Yeah. I have to serve in arts, but you have to have something to serve with. Mm. Right? But the problem is, if you only focus on your like, getting good at something and it's all about you or you, you, then in essence, you're, you're almost on a search to validate yourself. You're on a search to be worthy of love. Yeah. But it's not love in itself. Mm. True love comes from giving,
0: mm.
1: right? When you give something to others. Because, like, you've got intrinsic value, you have an extrinsic value. And, like, you look at money, for example, money. Money isn't wealth. Wealth is not measured, in my opinion, by your extrinsic value—how much money you have. It's measured by your intrinsic value. So here's a good way to think about it: is how much. Think about like if money didn't exist, how valuable are you? Like how much of that intrinsic value do you have if money didn't exist? Because you know, like years ago when we lived in villages and whatever tribes, then the most attractive person was the person. That was the most giving, because he's the person was owed most favours. Which means that, you know, if suddenly he needed something, then everyone become rushing to him will help you because you've served us in advance. All mm. money is, as way of keeping the IOU, uh, own no- notes, IOU notes in in check. Mm. So for me, yeah, you need to become, if we want use the word ego, we can say significant, because you have to be that, because otherwise no one's going to be attracted to you. Yeah. But equally, then you've got to take that skill, knowledge, know-how, ability and find a way to serve with it, whether you entertain with it, whether you teach with it, or whether you create a business that serves people either through you directly or your team or your staff or a product, you put that, that uniqueness and you find a way to serve. If you mm. don't do that, you're stuffed.
0: Yeah. What would you say to someone who says, you're a hard seller?
1: Mm.
0: What would you say to them?
1: You're a hard seller.
0: You know, that's the the language people use, isn't it? Oh, that's a
1: hard sell. Mm. So it probably means that person is having that thought because they are not themselves a buyer at that point. Because anybody who's a real buyer... So what does it mean to hard sell? Let's think about that. It probably means that you should listen to that also because it might mean that you you have crossed the line. So you, you should never say, you never never ever think to yourself they're wrong. Always have that a bit, because again, another a successful trait is somebody who has beliefs about themselves, but for a moment at least can suspend them, right? Because you know, like when you know, because you know, we've got to act certain, right? It's a male trait to act certain, so you need to be certain as a leader, whether male or female, you got to act certain. But if you only ever do that and you never ever allow yourself to hang on a second, step back, let me just, let me absorb that for a minute with, with my, all my beliefs suspended and see how that is true, you might find maybe you have been hard selling whatever that is on that occasion. Mm. It's feedback, isn't it? Mm. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. Whether mm. you choose to eat it or not, it's up to you. Mm. <laughs> Amen. But you're very good at that. You're actually very good, you know, when we have our meetings because we you know belong to another group. You're very good at listening to. And feedback, you actually welcome it, you bring it on. Now you have an ability to switch your energy on and so say, this is what I believe. But you're also very good at suspending that belief. Mm. And it's probably happened over time. Because in fact in the beginning, you weren't like that. You might have been more, no. more doing it this way. So
0: In the beginning, I took it personally and it would hurt me. Yeah. And I would perceive feedback as um, a detriment to my character. Mm. And so over time, I was just cre- able to create more space and distance between my character. And how do you do that? It's an interesting question. You
1: said oh, I was able to create space, but yeah. it's like a. What does that actually mean? Well, you-
0: a fucking load of money on personal development courses. <laughs> definitely that. I mean, I, I actually worked out we've dropped one point four mil on personal development courses wow. for ourselves and our team, and it's over fifteen years, and it's me and Mark sure. and our team. But you know, it's a lot. And, yeah. and actually, someone was telling me how Landmark had changed their life yesterday. I'm like, I've got to do that. And there's some John Demartini courses I haven't done. I've done a lot of this. I'm thinking, I've got to do those. So, you know, some people expect one personal development course to freaking change them. Mm. It's definitely not that. I would say over time, I learned that who I am and what I do are different. Mm -hmm. So if I do something and someone reacts to it, they're reacting to what I do. Yes. But that's not a character assassination of who I am. Mm -hmm. Someone called me Putin today on a post, um, which I really liked actually, (laughs) um, because you know Putin's probably no one knows this, but Putin's probably the richest man in the world. People don't know this. If you could, we
1: we, we might be about to find out. (laughs) Yeah, we
0: might. Um, But you know what? Like I pointed out that actually some people could see that as quite a disgusting um, uh, comment to call someone Putin. Um, But in reality, I really liked it Mm -hmm. um, because I realised that person um, wasn't scared to give me feedback. If someone can call me something, there's no fear in my reaction to it. So Mm -hmm. I actually take feedback as a compliment because I don't want... If people are scared to give me feedback, I'm never going to grow. So... um, I put a distance between who I am and what I do, mm. um, which, A, gave me the ability to not take anything personally. Also, an awareness of we're all living in our own world where we've got a dialogue of a reality we're creating, mm-hmm. which is not reality. Right. It's either a story we tell ourselves mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis playing on repeat the past um, or it's just a way that we receive information in the world that's very individual. Mm. And when I learned that, I realized if you say something about me that, I, that used to hurt me, yeah. I now understand it's, you're not trying to hurt me. You're perceiving information from me through your model of the world. Yeah. So you're not actually judging me. You're judging me through yourself. Therefore, you're really speaking about yourself.
1: Yeah. Almost both me. the time, you've you've basically pressed the button inside that person. Yes. You've fired off a and they've got a belief about something they've got to reinforce. Yes. Or they they perceive you to be like someone that they experience and they yes. basically put your head on that. Yeah. Know, they've brought that, all the baggage. That person's head on you. Um, So, you're quite right. So, So this is why, Andy, by the way, just let let me jump in here. This is why I asked
0: you about what... Because you were... I think you were a bit too elegant about answering the question when I said, what do you think of someone who says you're a hard seller? Mm. Because what I was going to say is they're just bringing all their baggage onto the table right there and then.
1: Yeah, but both could be true. Yeah. So, again, so... Because,
0: by the way, I love watching a sale that other people would perceive as hard. I'm like, fucking hell, that's genius. I need to learn how to do that. Yeah. And it's completely... It's the same
1: event, yeah, and and
0: I'm always the guy running to the table first.
1: Well, you've got to remember, in in a selling environment, we're well, certainly one to many. You're always dividing people. You're dividing people between the buyers and the non-buyers. Do you do that on purpose? You have to, but men, many people don't. Well, look, you know, because they're worried
0: about what the non-buyers. Well, think thing
1: about it is that the thing that the a macro see. So there's you know, for every one thousand uh, Rob Moore fans, there are one thousand Rob Moore haters. I'd be quite happy with those numbers. I thought it was a lot more haters. <laughs> and then you've got about a thousand people in the middle who don't give a shit either way. Yeah. But what you don't want is three thousand people who don't give a shit either way mm. because you're just too vanilla, mm. right? People won't move towards you unless they know what you believe. And if you're sharing a message, this is good for you. Go do it, right? Just believe it. Like you're like, this is a great offer. It's available today. Get you over the line go do it because people have problems when they say hard selling. It's more like the go do it now. You know scarcity incentive but you have to give people a deadline to do anything Mm. people don't do their homework till last minute right yeah people have need deadlines so if you don't give people a deadline the same thing with a sale you know when you you, like harrod salad it finishes at this time whatever you know Mm. there's deadlines to things you have to give people like if you don't do x right now there's a there's a painful consequence yeah um there's a painful consequence they don't do it anyway because they get to keep their problem Mm. and i I care enough about people Oh, so I care enough about people that I can help that I will... Tony Robbins is the same thing, right? Break people's patterns. Like, when my partner was in that scenario, like, literally, he said something that was shocking. He said, like, oh, you must really love your abuser. Wow. She said, like, what? You must really love your abuser? What do you mean? he said, we just rent out space in your head for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he's not even there, but you keep thinking about it. You keep honouring him by doing that. She's like, that's like... But that, that is a new frame of reference. Mm. That's, called, that's called hard coaching. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Right? But and people I bet that, that shocks some people. But people need it.
0: Well, he, Tony Robbins got a bit of a rap for doing that on I Am Not Your Guru, didn't he?
1: Right. Exactly. You want,
0: should we just talk about what happened there and what you thought about that? That'd be what interesting part one. specifically? Well, I think, was it to do with the Me Too movement?
1: That wasn't... I don't think that was actually on the, the I'm Not Your Guru. I think it came out as a uh, a separate video that someone posted. Yeah. But it's from one of his events, yeah.
0: Yeah, what What were your thoughts? Because I saw you publicly comment about when Tony Robbins was big time under
1: fire. Mm. Yeah, so to, for people that don't remember that part, he was... A, 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 I can't remember the exact presenting problem, but he was... Doing one of his live interventions with a female, and uh, I think he was talking about what he was. The, the person obviously had someone like my partner, and had some you know issues in the past, but what he was trying to attempt to do correctly was put her at cause.
0: As in responsible,
1: yeah. Not as in cause for you cause this happen. No. You attract it to yourself, but you, you're, you're, responsible you're, you're responsible for, for, how you, for what yeah. you do about this. Yeah. And what he's trying to say is, don't play the victim because it's not pretty. Yeah. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to get you attention and reinforce the fact you are a victim. Right. That's what he was trying to get across. Yeah. Um. The problem was because he used a lot of his masculinity. In order to try to break that pattern. But what's wrong with that? Um, because he might have fired off, yeah, in her that fear that she, he, you know, he, she might have replayed that same scenario all over again. Right. And actually, what she did was stand up for herself. Yeah. Which, actually, when you think about it, was exactly the right thing he wanted to happen. Yeah. For her to stand up against a, a, yeah. a, a male authority but figure. But
0: what's wrong with being masculine?
1: No, he just used his like he was he was like right. and he's a big guy, he was right over yeah. her. So he might have made her feel frightened. I just think he probably, from a physicality point of view, he, he could have done it more elegantly in this case. Still yeah. been still been very pattern interrupting, but not I think he probably crossed the line on that occasion and he probably recognised he did.
0: Mm. Okay. So, should we go into some practical tactics? Yeah. Okay, great. So, let's say someone is absolutely petrified of public speaking. Apparently, it is the highest ranked fear above death and spiders. (laughs) I'll take public speaking all day long (laughs) over death and spiders. Give us two or three tips to get people who are nervous and scared of public speaking moving.
1: Yeah, good. So, one of the most important Uh, aspects of presenting and speaking is the state you get in. Mm. So, people often think you need to be in a calm state, you don't. Your state will change dramatically throughout, otherwise your presentation will just be boring. So, it's a weird thing, but if you think about any top-level performance of anything, and we can call public speaking a performance, singing, dancing, any sport is a performance, it all happens in a zone, a zone of high performance. So the question becomes, how do you get into the zone of high performance? in an area that you aren't currently high-performing in? And the answer is to get your eyes into peripheral vision. That sounds really weird to say that, but peripheral vision, you've got two-month vision. You've got foveal vision, focusing on one thing. I'm threading a piece of cotton through a needle. I need foveal vision for that, but that's really stressful. You know, imagine threading a piece of cotton through a needle for an hour, you'd be knackered, right? Whereas peripheral vision is a a wider awareness so when you learn how to switch your mind on to that what will happen is you will actually activate more of your unconscious mind which is actually where all your knowledge know-how is stored that you want to share but if you become very focused on your message right you're going to overthink Mm. it so that's like a singer who sings a song but then thinks about the words and then that's when they mess them up yeah Yeah, because that's unnatural you know, if you get passionate about something, let's say you have an argument with your partner, so you have an argument with Gemma, for example, then, you know, you're... you're yeah, you can remember that, <laughs> like yesterday, this morning. You're bringing
0: um, up all of my trauma now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Then, you know, you haven't got to go and check your notes. No. Because it comes out, right? You, yeah. because you're passionate in that moment, right?
0: Sometimes I wish I had checked my <laughs> notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And you think about a basketball player, right? A basketball player, right? What are they doing? They're bouncing the ball, right? But and they're imp- what they're doing, they're reading the game, Yeah. right? Now, you're aware the ball's there, but you don't look at it. So you're aware the kind of things you want to say, but you don't directly look at them. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. And that gives you this kind of, you know, enter the matrix, whatever you kind of experience, and that's where you need to go. Or if you look at all professional sports, players, I'm a tennis player, and I'm gonna, you know, like, you know, the serve's gonna come down. I'm in vision. I'm reading multiple things, yeah. and I'm being intuitive. I'm stepping into that zone of performance, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's relaxed performance. And you can train yourself to do that. Mm. You can train yourself to do that. You can call it meditation if you like, it's exactly the same thing. You stare at one thing, right? But you become aware of everything at the same time. You drop into a little zone. So I'd encourage people to do that and then begin to present after that.
0: Okay, and is there any way they can practice that? Because it's interesting you say that because that's what I have to do doing this. Yeah. I've got a load of questions there. And I've hardly looked at them. Mm. And if I look at my questions the whole time, you're going to hate this interview.
1: Yeah, because you, it feels like you're not
0: listening to the answers. Exactly. But and, and I want to be in the moment enough. So I've asked you at least seven things that aren't on this. Right. But I've also got my list of questions. So right. being able to be with you yeah. and with the questions and with the time that's, that's over it. there. And that's with it. Harry, because I love looking at Harry because I, when I look at Harry, I see his face. And I always know if the interviews are going well or not, right? Because so, so I'm looking at Harry. We've got three cameras over there, and so so maybe interviewing people, maybe doing Facebook lives, maybe doing some little networking events. Are they good ideas to start? Yeah. Or do you just do them in your living room?
1: I always like having a live audience because it's actually very different. Yeah. So the other thing that they need to do is have a structure for the presentation. Like I said, it's a framework. So. Um, the biggest mistake people make in presentations is killing their audience with death by PowerPoint. Because mm. what people do to get the certainty they need, rather than going to peripheral vision, they do the opposite. In fact, they they stick up on their slides. They've got bullet point after bullet point after bullet point. They okay, turn
0: round. Turn round.
1: Yeah. So and basically, you might as just give them like a sheet of paper with what's written on it, and that's mm. it. So instead of that, you want to create models, frameworks, blueprints. So think seven habits of highly effective people, right? It's like a framework in a circle. Uh, The quadrant. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Tiny Robbins has his uh, his, uh, triads, as he calls them. Mm. You know, I've got my uh, serve and sell speaker program, and that's what we teach people to do. So we teach new speakers how to create a framework that keeps things at a big picture conceptual level to begin with Yeah. so that people don't get lost with the detail. And you're selling people on a concept first and then, you know, if they want to go further, you dive deeper into that and that's where the detail is. Yeah. But you've got to create a framework that that simplifies a complex thing. So that it, you know, in essence, in public speaking there's probably we probably teach seventy four different things you've got to master. But they all are those are all part of seven things. Yeah. So think folders, subfolders and files. It's how you store information on a computer. Here's the problem with most speakers, it's just files. Yeah. So it's like, Matt, here's a good example. So most trainers, speakers, presenters don't think like their audience. You've got to think like your audience. You know, does Is this understandable if, if it's not me listening to me? Right? So because it's all over the place, it's not well designed, then it's a bit like having a messy desktop. You know, like on your desktop sometimes, you know, you see some people's desktops, they're really messy. But they know where all the files are. Everybody else, they know, it's about there. They know where it is, right? But they're the only human who knows where it is. Yeah. So if you train like that, everyone's lost. You're not, but everybody else is. So think of it this way. Imagine you've got your computer, right? And there's files all over it, it's a big mess. You go to a meeting somewhere and there's a file you need in that computer, but you don't have your computer with you. Mm. But that's no problem, you can file share it, right? It's not stored in the cloud, but you can get someone to send it to you. But the only, so you ring home, but the only person home is Nan.
0: <laughs> and you've now
1: got to explain to Nan where that file is, And she's got to send it to you. That's going to be pretty frustrating, Mm. right? So that's what you've got to think of. You've got to organise it in that way because not only does it mean your content's organised for them, it's organised for you. Mm. And that allows you then to settle down and focus on the audience because every audience is unique and special and your attention needs to be with them because it's called a presentation for a reason because you have to be present.
0: Yeah. What I'm going to do is in a moment, I'm going to go to our quick fire round. Okay. Just to shake things up. Shake it up, baby. And then I'm going to move a couple of our deeper questions to the end. Okay. But one question before I do. I've (laughs) noticed that you said serve and sell. Yeah. And presentation for profits. Mm -hmm. So could you give us a couple of tips on monetizing public speaking?
1: Yeah. Well, A, number one, people buy solutions. So you have to... Look, you, you've got two classes of speakers. You've got, you've got the kind of keynote speaker who isn't selling anything. They get paid for doing a speech. You know, could be anything from a couple of thousand to if you're a very successful, well-known brand, could be half a million, for example. So you've got them. And the problem with those guys is they inspire people because they talk about climbing Mount Everest or whatever. But the problem is with that, that leaves people without a strategy. You're just inspired. What you then need to think about is, okay, well my audience isn't really climbing Mount Everest, but what mountain are they climbing? Maybe it's the mountain out of grief. Maybe it's the mountain of how do I make sales? Maybe it's the mountain of how do I become fitter and healthier? Maybe it's the mountain of how do I resolve my relationship? Whatever it is, you've got to figure out what you know, what's the mountain you want to be known as helping people to climb. What, you want to be the Sherpa for that journey. And you figure out what those steps are, and you then turn it into what I call a UBS, a unique branded solution. That is your in- IP, it's your intellectual property. It's only yours. It's uniquely yours. You created it. We talked about some other ones. We talked about, you know, cash flow, quadrant, et cetera. You've got to create your version of the seven habits. And then you, you create a presentation that goes around that. So that's the, that's the central piece of that presentation. There's many things you need to do around it. You need to do a, you know, a beginning part, which is very different. You'll then do a story about you and why you... And you've got, and Then you've got to introduce the overview of that solution. And then you've got to go a bit deeper into it so you kind of prove the concept that there's some value in it. Then you've got to make a great offer. This is you know, a structure of a classic presentation called a serve and sell or presenting for profit. And then what people are buying from you specifically is the implementation of that thing. So don't sell information because information's everywhere. You're selling implementation. Um, so if you've got a framework of seven things, then there are three ways you monetize it. Either you create a do-it-yourself solution, so in a simple example that is a book. You, know, you read it, but you got to do it yourself. You know, the implementation you've done by yourself, a done-with-you solution, which means either you and or your team is going to get with that person What work. They're going to do the implementation, but you're going to support them in doing that.
0: Like coaching, mentoring, Coaching, mastermind. mentoring. It
1: could even be a yeah. training course that you have, you know, uh, exercise in, but you've got coaches and mentors there to help them in the implementation piece yeah. during the programme. Again, a lot of courses don't do that. It's just information and people walk away with a you know, great yeah. shelf development. Um, so we don't do that. We, have, you know, We have trained coaches to watch every single performance. And when you're creating the content, you know, there's somebody there... Helping you, yeah. it means our courses are smaller, but it means they work, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so ultimately, you're either selling do-it-yourself done with you, or even potentially done for you, right? A done-for-you solution is you've told them what your model and framework is of how results are got, and what you're basically saying is that this is the model I'm going to follow to implement this for you. Yeah. And that's it. That's how you monetize it. But you're selling, in essence, a solution based around that framework that is your unique methodology, way, blueprint, map of getting your client from pain to gain, from problem to result.
0: Mm. Yeah. So you talked about implementation. I agree with you. When all is said and done, more is said than done. And to know and not to do is not to know. So can you help anyone move forward? Do you have anything in terms of presenting into Profit that you could offer my audience?
1: Yes, definitely. So we've got, um, well, t- the first thing they could probably do is go to my, uh, we run a virtual event on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, so they can watch this for the comfort of their own home or office. Um, that's called Presentation Profits. So if they just go to presentation-profit.com. Please remember, um, and then yeah, there'll be a registration page, and you know, probably have, might have to wait a few days for a, us to run that. But so you're running them pretty regularly. Yeah, we run a pretty yeah. regularly. Uh, yeah, at the moment there are Wednesday and Saturday. It might change over time depending on people are listening to this. Yeah, um, and that's like a you know a few hours. Yeah, but it's, it's highly engaging. It will tell them exactly how to um, both prepare and perform a presentation that in essence will get them investment builds their credibility and authority, wins some new business. Yeah, in essence it's everything I've learned over 19 years and all the mistakes I've made and why you don't need to make them anymore.
0: Yeah. So I just want to tell everyone as well Andy that you were the first person I ever saw that spoke on stage and I could see, wow, this is a way to inspire people and to make a great living. And I'm I'm really of the belief right now, we're not in the industrial age anymore. So we don't have to sit on a factory line all day, every day, hoping to buy enough time with the small amount of money that we have to do the things we love, but not having enough time left to do it. I really believe you can merge your passion into your profession, your vocation into your vacation, turn your information into income and turn what you already know into cash flow. I really believe those things. And I'm a very fortunate person because I get to do that on a daily basis. And I love public speaking, and I, I'll just be humble here, but between us two sitting on the table, we've done hundreds of millions in speaking revenue. I can say that. Yeah. So I would just encourage anyone listening, don't stop, don't pause, don't distract yourself. Go to presentation profits dot, dot yeah. Um because, you know, Andy didn't hardcore sit down and train me end to end, but Andy has helped me along the way. You did review one of my presentations I did, once I, remember, I came yeah. to your house. And I that... a little
1: testimony video somewhere that I think still gets shown every day. probably year. done all right out of that yourself. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I believe in always being a student. Yeah, and yeah. if anyone's listening who is a bit scared, because I always carry that fear, by the way. You know, when I go and speak alongside other speakers who are really good, I always carry a little bit of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just say to anyone that does have that fear get your ass over to that, presentation-profits.com.
1: Yeah, thanks, mate.
0: That's all right. So let's do a bit of a a quick fire. So, look, you can take as long as you like, but ideally 15 to 30 seconds answers we're looking for. Okay. Okay. So number one, is it true Richard Branson doesn't like public speaking on stage?
1: Yes, he likes to be interviewed only because for whatever reason he's chosen not to stand up there and present and speak.
0: So why do you think that Richard Branson... Hates public speaking. When he's such an amazing leader,
1: um, he's very introverted, and I think he likes certainty. So every question he's asked is pre-planned and pre-prepared. Um, so the answers, if you watch him once, you the next interview is going to be exactly the same. Mm.
0: Okay. Um, who's the better speaker, Grant Cardone, Gary V, or Ty Lopez, and why? Um,
1: probably Gary V, um, because he has, I think, the most authentic be-yourself, I-don't-give-a-shit attitude. Um, He actually speaks... He he does do a lot of Q&A stuff, so I quite like that because it's very intuitive and uh, I like that about speakers, that they're willing to stand up and just have stuff fired at them, a bit like you're firing at me now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you were giving Gary V one tip on public speaking, what would it be?
1: Yeah, probably I would say his... Uh, eye contact when he's actually presenting. Now when he's answering someone's question, he's got you know good attention, but a lot of speakers they kind of spray their eye contact all over. Um, but what a great presenter does um, is they, they look they look at someone and speak to them until the end of that sentence. I thought so you pick one person at the audience, speak directly to them only get to a pause, like a comma or a full stop, you turn and look straight at somebody else and you present to them for the end of that sentence. Then you go to somebody else. So you are never, ever speak into an entire audience at the same time. It is look to one, speak to all. Love
0: it. Um, what speaking advice would you give to Boris Johnson?
1: Uh, get your hair cut.
0: <laughs> what speaking advice would you give to Boris Johnson?
1: <laughs> I'm not letting you get away with that one. Um so I think he again is quite a charismatic leader, so doesn't fall into the category um of over prepared. Um I think he just needs to be a little bit more um authentic and really choose his beliefs because I, I think sometimes his beliefs change depending on the moment.
0: Um there's this amazing speaker. The, it's called Nick Vujicic. Yeah. I may have mispronounced that. Vujicic. Vujicic. Um, yes, yeah, so I've butchered that. Yeah. Um, talk to me about him.
1: Well, he has no arms and no legs and no limits. That's his message. Um, and I've spoken alongside him a few times in Singapore, I think, in Australia. Um, and he's just incredibly good at storytelling. So that's one of the most important things about a speaker is their ability to storytell. Because in a story, you can weave in so many amazing messages. As I like to say, if you don't want to preach, put a story in your speech. Because then what happens is in the story, you're both training and teaching, leading, changing beliefs. But the client often doesn't realise that's happening. It's, uh, it's kind of happening very subtly. And that can really move an audience. Yeah, so he's brilliant at that. Absolutely amazing.
0: I want to come back to storytelling, Okay. Um, so we'll do that after. Who's the better speaker, Donald Trump or Bill Clinton and why?
1: I really like, uh, from a uh, speaking point of view, I like uh, Trump's uh, speak and say things from, shoot from the hip, because I kind of like that, but he will end up contradicting himself all the time so that's the challenge so for, I would say probably Clinton because he's the more statesman like his voice is going a bit he's getting a bit older so he's quite raspy in the voice a bit like Tony Robbins these days <laughs> do you
0: think that Robert Kiyosaki author of Rich Dad Poor Dad has got a bit grumpy in his old age oh,
1: he's, oh, I don't think he's got grumpy in his old age I think he's always been grumpy um, that, that's his style it's not yeah. too distant to your style actually as in he's quite ranty I actually I heard of an interesting story maybe you heard of it that once. Because he tells people, I used to tell people at the break, you got to come back from the break. So people came from the break late and he locked the doors and wouldn't let them back in. <laughs> it's like literally just wouldn't let People paid loads of money. He said, no, you didn't come back in. Didn't do what he was told.
0: Mm. Yeah, I remember seeing him at National Achievers Congress um, years ago and he was just bollocking everyone who was coming in late. Yeah. Yeah, I remember thinking, I'm not sure it's going to be building the rapport you want, but
1: You've got to be funny with it. If you're going to do that, if you're going to use warrior, because that's what that is. Yeah. Sometimes it crosses over into dark warrior, as in controller. Um, but if you're going to use warrior, you have to temper that with jester. Yeah. You have to be funny with it. Because mm. if you're all that one way, people are getting it tied out with that. Mm. Yeah.
0: Okay. What's the worst speech or speaker you ever saw and why?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, okay, so Michael Bay, people can look at this online. They go to YouTube and you type in Michael Bay fail or Michael Bay speaking fail. Oh, dear. <laughs> and um, so Michael Bay is one of the is a, like Transformers and stuff. Mm. You know, he's a, a movie director. And he was on stage for Samsung, Samsung Conference. And he was there. They were asking questions. And in essence, they were trying to pitch this curved TV they'd, they'd made. That was your phone, I think. It was, yeah. Um, and... He was using an auto cue, and the auto cue failed. Like, it stopped. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah no. Like, oh, the autocue's all of what type's all off. And he actually had another guy on stage with him, the the MC, who then just started interviewing and asking questions. But he couldn't deal with it. He, he could have just asked the guy's questions, forgot the entire script and did it. But he went, oh, uh, uh, I'm sorry, and then just walked off. Oh, Literally walked off, and it was like the most, oh, my goodness, horrendous moment in time. And that's the thing is that that's why I never you would use an auto because technology go, can go wrong. Like, if you've got slides that go wrong, you need to be able to do it on a flip chart. <laughs> you need to be mm. able to go to that. And that shows the real class when you can do that. And he didn't show it on that day.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, all you had to do was answer the guy's questions. I mean, like, when you prepared the content, whose brain did it come from? Yours. If he answers the questions and you answer them, which brain did it come from? Yeah. Yours. Just that's it. Mm. Yeah.
0: I remember actually the first public speaking course I ever did was Chris Howard's. Um, public speaking course in Australia. Yeah. And about day two, they taught us utilization, yeah. which is anything that goes wrong can actually be the best part of your speech yeah. if you use it yeah. and utilize it. And that, I would say, in the pub, I actually just got a little bit of goosebumps there <laughs> um, because I can, that moment probably liberated a lot of my fear of speaking Uh because I think the thing we fear is being on the stage and it goes wrong and we stood there in front of loads of people exposed and naked and vulnerable and you want you know when people actually say I want the stage to swallow me up yeah but you know if we can use what happened as part of the speech and we know that we've got that tool in our um, armory surely there's not much that can um,
1: throw us off our speech. Yeah, and what you learn to do over time is you learn that there are already a certain number of things that typically can go wrong. And then when it goes wrong, you have one or two different responses to that mm. all the time. So like, for example, a phone goes off, right? Now, some people are like, oh, turn your mobile phones before you begin, all that kind of stuff. I never say that. I want the phones to go yeah. off. So when they walk off, I'm just fiddling with their bag and like all embarrassed. I just walk over, take their phone, and answer it for them in the middle <laughs> of the seminar. And i like, like, hey... So, who are you after? Oh, yeah, Mary. Okay. All right. Yeah, she's a bit tied up at the minute. <laughs> What's that you said? Oh, okay. Right. It's the police. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, apparently, yesterday, um, something with your neighbor. I, I'm just going to make some stuff yeah, up. Yeah, now, this yeah. person, the person's disappeared gone. And I was this This idiot, just going to got rid of it. Yeah. But it's funny. And of course, everybody else knows if I can turn the mobile phone off after, yeah. after that, you
0: know? Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I always find it's funny when people try and open crisp packets really quietly, and it's really loud. And you just—all you have to do is mention that and just put the spotlight on them. So, yeah, that really—I just—it really helped me. That did. Um, so the best speech or speaker you've ever seen, and why?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to Tony Robbins again. I think just because he was my original inspiration, you know, and just seeing the way he's able to take a huge audience and unite people into a one common feeling um, and to create that kind of just complete unity where everyone's feeling like at the peak and like way beyond, way outside their, their normal everyday waking state so they can make decisions about their life you know, in a place they'd never get in a state to make them. Mm. And that's the key. You know, like if, if, if you don't as a speaker, if you don't move people outside their normal natural waking state, then they'll just dis- they'll just behave as if they they're inside that problem. Mm. You've got to get them outside the problem and um, to see how small the problem really is. Yeah. And the thing they've been right about go like, oh it's easy. Mm. Right? But you can mm. only do that when you get people outside. But to do that, you have to be extraordinary uh, for a period of time because you, you're not going to achieve that inside 20 minutes. Mm. Right, That's why he's seminars Go for, you know, 72 hours and yeah. stop almost, yeah. Mm.
0: Have you had one major epic fail as a speaker that you can remember?
1: Yes, actually, the very first presentation, I'm going to go back to the ego thing. So, um, you, know, it, you know, the cavernous conference centre, guy about there somewhere. Um, and uh, he, he, I said something and he said something back. And because I was just so fearful, uh, I completely believed he was challenging me. He wasn't. He was actually agreeing with me. But I was like in a fight with him over this comment like trying to prove myself. So I know I, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I was like, oh, you dick, and it was like red face came <laughs> up. And another one, another one. Sometimes you have this as well. Like you know when you're um presenting, and I thought you, you know, like I said, you go and give you know, you know eye contact to one person at a time, move to somebody else. Never do this, you know, sort of scanning the audience. And I came across one guy who's like, you like, he's not having a good time. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. like oh, like and then I kept going to him now and again, thinking like I'm gonna pick him up in a minute and like. Still really stony faced. I thought he didn't enjoy it. Wasn't it you know. And it. then you know, like you know, after, yeah, it probably was. And then after the event, I could see him queuing up on it. Oh no. You know what like, you're gonna come and yeah. he's gonna give her a piece of his mind. Yeah. He comes out and he goes, That was the best speech I've ever heard. <laughs> <You know. laughs> you don't judge people by no. their luck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have had a couple of people fall asleep in seminar of mine before, and I've obviously took that really personally, and then you find out they got in at five in the morning from a A bender night out, which I understand will be uh, you tomorrow, won't it?
1: Let's not talk about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, then I'll get you out of that one. Um, Let's finish on storytelling.
1: Okay. Because I know
0: you think that's a huge part of speaking. Definitely. So, why is storytelling important and give us a couple of tips on storytelling?
1: Yeah, storytelling is so important because um, in a story, um, you'll have a theme in the story. Every story should have a theme because, like, you know, every great movie has a theme to it. and within that story, you can, you can weave in so many wonderful messages that, that kind of have this magical effect that people don't realise. But the, the challenge that I experience is that, and this is how I used to be and this is what I see in others that come to training now, is that what people think is storytelling isn't. Um, because you don't actually tell a story, you relive it. Right. And wow. that's a different thing. Yeah. Now, to relive a story, you have to be in present tense to relive something. So when people normally tell a story, they're talking about it as if it's happened in the past, which it has. But when you tell a story, you have to act as if now. Right. So I'll give an example. One of my, um, one of my uh, members of my academy, for example, I, I, I know her story beginning so well. This is Ruth. Uh, and Ruth's audience is uh, typically for for women who've been in controlling and abusive relationships. And she'll start she'll start her story by setting the scene. And when she sets the scene, she'll set it in completely present tense because that's what we trained her how to do. She's got curiosity and intrigue, so she starts to go, "It's it's January 2001. It's a beautiful day. The sun's blazing through the bay window. And beyond the garden outside, there's a cricket match going on. And I can hear the sounds of I can hear the sounds of players shouting, the thwack of lever on willow. I can hear all those summary sounds, normal sounds, but they couldn't be in greater contrast to this churning of dark emotion I'm feeling inside. He's in the room. He's standing there, his shoulders framing the doorway. Why is he blocking me like that? Why is he stopping me? I want to get right. I want to run my past him and run and run and run. In fact, I want to walk up to him and say, "Get out of my house!" But I didn't. And so that's the beginning of a story. And they're like you're captivated by that because it feels like, as the audience, it feels like you're there as a fly on the wall, and that's important. And f- f- movies do that because it's not a scary movie unless you're in it. Um, it's not a thrilling movie unless you're on the bus, I mean, <laughs> you know, that yeah. can't stop or whatever. Yeah. So they'll use very camera clever work. So uh, yeah, they'll use very clever camera work. So an example of that is it's a really good example is um remember the movie Titanic of course. Okay. Um, at one point, you know, the lifeboats are, are out and there's an establishing shot where you can see from effectively another boat, another boat over there. And then the next shot is you're in the boat. Right, so the camera's now in the boat, and you're looking over the shoulder of someone. And there's a dialogue going on. One person this side saying, we need to go and save the people that are crying. We need to go. to this person said, no, no, we're going to stay exactly, keep ourselves safe. Right? And you're now in that boat, which means you have the same dilemma as the people in the boat, mm. which means you're being posed the question, what would I do if I was in the boat? Mm. And that's what a story does. It takes you on a journey to explore scenarios and situations such that you can come forth and go, that's what I would do. And it reinforces or has changed a belief about yourself. Mm. Powerful.
0: So if there's one thing listening to you, I'm critiquing myself on as a speaker, because I've done well more than a thousand speeches and I get paid good money to speak. I can often go into monologue and narration a bit too much into the lecture mode. I can become the lecturer. As opposed to the storyteller, so yeah. I'm sitting here very inspired by you because I've got some great stories, and I often think I've got to fit a lot in. Yeah. And so, I, you know, one of my early public speaking mentors, he said, "Facts tell stories, sell." Right. Um, and so, thank you for that re inspiration, Andy. <laughs> um, I know that you are a big fan of um storytelling, and I know that that is part of speaking, but it's also its own thing do you have any speaking resources specifically around storytelling yeah we
1: do so um we have a actually a, a program called storytelling secrets and uh if you want to get that we we'll, will happily give away a free copy for your audience if you'd like me to
0: i would i'll um, be getting one of those So <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: um and actually ruth's story there is actually in it we break down her story that we just heard um so you can see how it yeah. works and why it works because there's not there's more to it of course than that um, so they go to, it's very simple, so my name, so um, www, obviously, andyharrington.com forward slash story. So pretty easy. Andy, Andy had, Harrington. Andy forward slash story.
0: And yeah. they're going to get some resources on telling stories and seeing you breaking down stories. Yeah, no,
1: it's a whole program. There's yeah. actually more than that. So it's, there's, there's storytelling secrets there, which breaks down, you know, what we call our act one, act two, act three, because every story is broken down to three acts. Act one's called The Problem, act two's called The Journey, act three's called The Transformation. So it teaches them how to build their own stories mm. about their own personal story of why they do what they do. Um, but, and there's, we break down how that works we have different examples. But also I've got a separate product in that they can get with that as well, uh, which is called Anecdotal Stories, which is how you build stories that are not about you, but they have very valuable learning points attached to them That's mm. a different skill. Um, there's also How to Make Them Laugh, because you should, a story should at least have at least one part where is humour. Mm. So I'll show the how do you make how to make them laugh as well. That's in there as well. Is there a third thing in there? I can't remember. But there's at least those three at the very least. So yeah, pretty cool.
0: I remember seeing Les Brown speak, and I just thought, wow, it's just one whole story. It's just story after story after story. That's what, right. What do you think of Les Brown as a speaker?
1: Oh, I love him. Yeah. yeah. In fact, an interesting story. I spoke alongside Les um, for the first time x number of years ago. Um, and I've always admired him. I say it was in Perth, actually, Perth, Australia, um, and it was I don't know, five thousand people there, or whatever. And I knew he was speaking as one of the guest speakers, but I didn't know he was there, right? And the, I, I went to the green room afterwards, and I care—I I, I kid you not—he got down on his hands and knees and was doing like this to me. I was like, I was so, in one way, like thrilled and delighted, but I'm also, you know, a bit embarrassed no. by that as well. He said, oh, "That's that. What you just did there was amazing." Wow! I was like, and I was like, Les. Firstly, thank you, um, but also, you know, like the reason I might be even remotely as good as you're saying I am is because people like you went first. Mm. You know, I'm I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, and you're one of those."
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. I love how I love his little laugh that he has in yeah. you know, in between his dialogue. It's great.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. he's he is, he's incredible, and he, he quotes. You know, he's very he's very generous in the you know in a story he will he will add what i call impact lines um you know uh, you know a joke has a punchline. Yeah. a speaker should have impact lines um and he will always quote other people's impact lines and he will always quote that person
0: mm, yeah john de martini does that as well i think yeah. that's important yeah. i think sometimes when we're creating our own ubs yeah. we almost feel like we have to create completely unique content no. all the time
1: no, you can yeah yeah it's okay um, to quote other people's content or, or their their belief statements, if you want to call yeah. them that, as long as you do. That's just mm. kind.
0: It's kind. And it also shows that you're well studied. Right. If you can reel off everyone else's quotes, you've clearly learned something.
1: Yeah, it adds to your message and yeah. take it away.
0: Mm. It's also good when you're starting out if you haven't got any of your own.
1: <laughs> yeah, correct. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right, yeah.
0: But pe- sometimes people just nick stuff, don't they? It's just not the same.
1: Yeah, well, if you quote somebody else's, like a lot of people quote, you know, the Marian Willinsman quote and think it's um, Nelson Mandela. because mm. he quoted it. But it actually did and they thought he created it, but yeah. he didn't. It was Marianne Willinson who did that quote. But mm. he's more famous. So that will often sometimes if you don't say who said it, then they will think it's yours originally. Yeah. Even though you're not maybe claim it so it's it's important to maybe say who else owned that statement. Mm. Yeah.
0: So Andy, where can we follow you? Where are you on socials? What, what where are you mostly active? Or do you have or your website, anywhere?
1: Yeah, so Andyharrington.com yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the first thing, if they go to AndyHaron.com forward slash story, that'd be a great start for them if they're really interested in the story. And if they want to dive straight into, um, you know, how to do a, uh, the full kind of presentation, again, it's free. All the stuff I'm giving is free. They can come to our virtual events. And that's what I said that one was. Uh, you asking me. Presentation-profits.com. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Andy, I've had a lot of fun. Have you enjoyed you. it?
1: I did. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah. Surprisingly, we've had fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Life's too short not to have fun. And remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So let me know what you thought of the interview. Certainly public speaking changed my life. I think between Andy and I, we've made a good few hundred million as public speakers. I would definitely encourage you to get into public speaking and face those fears. Make sure you go now to andyharrington.com forward slash story. That's andyharrington.com forward slash story. So go now. And remember this, if
1: you don't risk anything, you risk it.